cursors. I really thought he wasn't going to dance. I, uh, well, good. Uh, thanks, Mickey, for welcoming us. My name is Bill Gorman, and I'll be just add my welcome to Mickey's. We're really glad that you're here this morning. I'm the campus pastor here. We're so thankful, especially if this is your first time here with us, or you're just exploring, or you're here because of Jazz Sunday, which is something we do whenever there's a, a fifth Sunday in a month. Um, we're really glad that you're here. Hopefully, you feel uh, welcome and, uh, and you're enjoying this beautiful day that we have together. Um, I want to begin by reading our passage of scripture, but before I do that, uh, I just want to tell you that as we look at this text of the Bible, it is one of the things, um, one of the most terrifying passages in all scripture if you're a pastor. Because being a pastor is a scary job. Uh, really, uh, and, and hopefully you'll, you'll feel this a little bit by the end, it, it's terrifying. Um, and it's not because I'm scared of helping people through pain uh, or even dealing with sin in their lives. Um, often I feel inadequate in those situations, um, but not particularly afraid. Uh, nor do I get scared when preaching uh, hard topics or hard passages from the Bible. Uh, often I'm not looking forward to it. Often it's not easy. But it's not particularly scary. But the thing that honestly does scare me the most is what if, what if I blow it? And what if we as a church lead you in the wrong direction? What if I'm doing this all for the wrong reasons or I would abandon my faith or just do something incredibly stupid? And worse, if I did all those things and was blind to it. Because we all know the stories, don't we? Plenty of us have, have at some point been hurt by the church uh, and I don't necessarily just mean disappointed or offended, but deeply, wrongfully hurt. And in a moment, I'm going to read Jesus' words in their entirety here in Matthew chapter 23. Just give you a heads up, it's going to feel like I've breathed forever. Um, just prepare you for that, sit in for the long haul. I'm going to read this chapter's entirety, but I want, I didn't know where, what, to, what to leave out. And so I want, to, want you to hear this. Um, and they're not polite, cheery words. And Jesus is addressing religious leaders. And he's warning the crowds against following the wrong kind of religious leaders. So I would love for you to follow along with me as we read this text. Um, you can grab one of the Bibles in the pew, a rack there in front of you. It looks like this. Um, if you turn to page 828, 828, you'll find Matthew chapter 23. We're going to read that whole chapter together. And as you're turning there, looking that up, I just want you to listen for some things as we read this text. Listen for how these leaders are obsessed with their own importance, how uh, they have a misguided sincerity, how they end up majoring on minors. Listen for how obsessed they are with keeping the outside clean while ignoring the internal state of their hearts and minds. And listen not only for Jesus' anger, because he certainly is angry during this text, but also for his broken-hearted lament. So hear Jesus' words. Matthew chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, and so do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they find, but they themselves are not willing to move one of, the, move them, one of their fingers. 
They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their flatteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the places of honor at feasts, and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers and sisters. And know and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ, the Messiah. <coughs> the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the land and see and make a single proselyte convert. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you yourself. <coughs> Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if he swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by the oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he is bound. You blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which appear outwardly beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but you, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you built tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would have not taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send to you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some who you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of the righteous Abel, the blood of Zechariah, son of Barakai, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her bird under the wings. And we're not alone. See your house left to be desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes. This is the word of the Lord. Have mercy on me. You know how these words from our Savior Jesus have already been at work challenging, convicting, and sharpening his feet. We continue even now to do that work as I undertake the task of teaching these words. Would you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, renew each one of us as we hear these words Jesus proclaimed? Would you heal those of us who have been wrongly treated, even abused, by pastors and other spiritual leaders? And would you protect the Christ and its leaders who fall into these traps. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jesus, in this passage, touches on my greatest fear as a pastor, that somehow I'm blind, that I'm, I'm leading a congregation in the, in the wrong direction, that what if in an effort to proclaim the good news of the gospel I end up leading others astray? Because there's all kinds of ways for people to walk away from Jesus, but the most damning way is that a spiritual leader who thinks they are leading people toward Jesus is actually leading the complete opposite and taking them away from him. And this is the warning that Jesus gives. He begins with here, and he opens chapter 23 addressing the crowds of his disciples, warning them against following blind guides. The religious leaders of the people, he says, if you follow them, will lead you into destruction. And Jesus essentially says here, you become like who you follow, so choose wisely. You become like who you follow, so choose wisely. So this passage 20, it really has two audiences. It, it addresses spiritual leaders, uh, people like me, our pastors, who are called to lead this congregation, and warns them strongly. And it also addresses followers and warns them to be discerning in who they choose to follow. And so this morning, as we walk through this passage, we're going to see five warning signs that, that spiritual leaders have become blind guides. Uh, five signs that they have become the worst, that these spiritual leaders have become the worst. Five signs that, that it might be time to fire your pastor or find a new church. I, I told you this is a sobering message for me this morning. Jesus tells the crowds that they should listen to what the scribes and the Pharisees say, what they teach, because he uses this kind of odd turn of phrase, because they sit in the seat of Moses, in Moses' seat. And the, the idea of Moses' seat is they, they speak with the authority of the Old Testament scriptures, with the authority of the Bible. It's sort of like us referring to, to a judge's authority as the bench. You may approach the bench, Your Honor, this position of authority. Jesus says, listen to the words they teach from the Bible, but do not do what they do, because they preach what they do not practice. They preach what they do not practice. And it's here in verses 4 through 12 at the beginning that we see the first sign. Spiritual leaders are the worst when they are obsessed with their own importance. When they're obsessed with their own importance. Uh, notice again how Jesus frames this. He says in verse 5, They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their flatteries broad, hold on a second, and their fringes long, and they love the places of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. That's 
that they loved. And phylacteries, they were, they were small boxes that contained Bible verses in them that they would wear on, on the left arm and the forehead when you prayed. And the tassels were fringes on a garment that were reminders to pray throughout the day. Nothing wrong with that, apparently, but they were doing it to be seen. It would be like me walking around with my biggest, meanest, baddest study Bible all the time. Just to, to kind of show how important and significant. Whenever I had a meeting here, I just kind of set that down right in front of us. So look at, how, look at the size of this Bible. This guy must really be important. He must really be smart. Yeah, nothing wrong with a big Bible. I have a couple of big Bibles. But I don't... We carry that around. Say, look at look at how important. See, spiritual leaders are the worst when they when they love titles. They love finding their position in the org chart, being honored in the community, with being treated as prestigious. I once heard about the church um, where the senior pastor made the staff stand whenever he walked into a room. Um, I mean, thankfully we got Tom to stop doing that a couple years ago. <laughs> No, in reality, if you know Tom, our senior pastor, that's the furthest thing from, from who Tom is as a person. Um, but there are churches that have that kind of culture around the senior pastor. And by God's grace, Tom and the other early pioneers of Christ's community worked hard to cultivate uh, what Jim Collins calls this level five leadership culture. Uh, Collins, in his book, Good to Great, if you've read it, it's a classic in the leadership field. But he talks about what's essential in, in a great organization is having what, what Collins calls a level five leader, and that's a leader who has an uncommon blend of extreme personal humility and intense professional will. Extreme personal humility combined paradoxically with intense professional will. You see, there's a constant temptation for spiritual leaders, especially as their influence grows, to become entitled, to, to expect the, the staff and those that they work with to serve them, the, those they lead to be serving them, rather than humbling themselves and being a servant, the chief servant in that organization. God has mercy on you. And spiritual leaders are the worst when they're obsessed with their own importance. They're also the worst when they're sincere, but sincerely wrong. When they're sincere, but sincerely wrong. Because religious sincerity does not necessarily or automatically lead to truth. We can be genuinely, passionately sincere in our beliefs and be completely wrong. And Jesus goes after this in, in verse 15. Listen again, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and the land to make a single proselyte or a, con a convert. And when he becomes a convert, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Again, Jesus is not taking an indirect approach with the Pharisees here. He's going very directly at them. And he goes right after them once again. He says, they have religious sincerity, religious zeal. They're, they're the most passionate of missionaries, traveling across land and sea. They don't lack sincerity. They don't lack passion. They don't lack zeal. That was not the Pharisees' problem. The problem was that they were, they were sincerely wrong. They were misguided. They were converting them to the wrong things. They, they sincerely converted them to a system of rules and burdens that they themselves could not keep. 
and which took their followers away from the one hope that anyone has in the world. That's Jesus. They're sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. Simply because a religious leader, a pastor, someone likes me, someone like me, says, well, I, I pray every morning and I ask God for wisdom and I just feel like God is telling me this or that. Or I just feel like we ought to be this kind of place. No matter how sincere they or I might sound, do not, do not buy it if it contradicts you can be sincere at the best of intentions and be sincerely devastating. Do you remember back in 2009 uh, all the trouble with Toyota and this uncontrollable acceleration problem in some of their vehicles? And in that Toyota was, was forced to recall about 10 million vehicles, pay a billion dollar fine, settle countless lawsuits, and the consensus was that there was something wrong with the, the car, that the floor mats were getting stuck under the accelerators, or there was something wrong with the car's computers that were causing it to accelerate out of control. Except there wasn't. And Malcolm Gladwell calls this the story in his new podcast series. It, it's riveting, it's, it's heartbreaking. But study after study has proved that no matter what, if you brake, even while accelerating, you have your foot pushing the gas pedal all the way to the floor and you brake at the same time, no matter what your speed, brakes always win. Every time, even with the most powerful souped up car, brakes always win. It's now believed it's, it's actually driver error panicked drivers felt their cars accelerating that they stepped harder onto the gas pedal, thinking it was the brakes, convinced it was the brakes, only sending the car more wildly out of control. A lot of people died from those accidents. They were sincerely pressing what they thought was the right pedal. They were sincerely wrong. And here the Pharisees are pressing on the gas, convinced it's the brake, with all of Jerusalem in the back seat. Countless religious leaders since then said, don't get into that car. No matter how sincere they are, they're pressing the gas. They think it's the brake. You're headed for destruction. Another way that spiritual leaders are the worst is when they are passionate about the letter of the law, but they completely miss the spirit of the law. When they're passionate about the letter of the law, but they completely miss the spirit of the law. And Jesus goes after this in verses 16 through 24. He says, they are blind guides who say, you only have to keep your promise if you promise by the gold of the temple. But if you just promise by the temple, then that's a loophole. You don't actually have to keep your promise. Or if you promise by the, the altar, but not the gift on the altar, well then... You're off the hook. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Then the spirit of the law says, don't even take oaths. Like, just keep your promise. 
That's what Jesus' point was back on the Sermon on the Mount when he said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't bother with all these different kinds of things to swear by and take oath by. He says, just keep your promise. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And these Pharisees were extremely legalistic about tithing, even in the smallest amounts of their spices. But all the while, they're ignoring the poor and the needy. They didn't seek true justice and mercy and faithfulness. And Jesus says he should have done both. He says, don't, it's not that there was anything wrong with how meticulous they were, were in following the rules about tithing. That's, that's a good thing. Because you should have done both. You should have done one without ignoring the other. But they got so narrowly focused on have I tithed 10% of every spice in my spice jar, they missed the bigger picture of the law, which was the passage that Pastor Paul walked us through last week, this great commandment to love God and to love your neighbor. See, spiritual leaders are the worst when they create legalistic cultures or people passionate about following the letter of the law that they completely miss its intention. And kind of maybe in our context today, I mean, there's lots of issues like this, but it could be, you know, great. We've, we've figured out exactly what modesty is. We have a ruler, it's about this shorts and neckline, and we know exactly what it is. But in the meantime, you haven't helped anyone come to know Christ or, or relieve the suffering of a broken and sin-damaged world. And again, we should be about both. We, we should care about modesty, but we, we also must care about justice and mercy and faithfulness. And Jesus calls those the weightier matters of the law. And anybody who tries to add to Jesus as a blind guide, who implies that to be a Christian, you need Jesus and something else. Jesus and the right political party. Jesus and a specific way of raising your kids. Jesus and no alcohol or R.A. movies. Jesus and anything is always dangerous to And I know, I know I'm from. And it makes me so thankful for our teaching team here at Christ Community because all, all of us from all of our campuses study and work on our sermons together. Every Monday we have a meeting and we challenge one another, push one another to understand the text. And are we understanding this rightly? Are we framing it correctly? It makes it harder to drift away from what's most important. Because either sincerity or passion, they aren't guarantees that you'll get it. And I know that I will get it wrong. I'm so grateful for our team in that. Next in verses 25 through 28, we see the spiritual leaders are the worst when they are more focused on the outside than on the inside. When they're more focused on the, on the outside appearance than on the inside. Listen to what Jesus says here again. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup. But inside, they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Implying Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and plate, that the outside may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you will be like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you, I've been thinking a lot about this passage that I've been doing the dishes this week. And have you ever pulled something out of the dishwasher, the dishwasher's clean, and you're putting away the dishes, and 
That's one of my favorite chores to do around the house. I really enjoy it. It's something about restoring the sense of order in the kitchen and all the stuff coming back in the spots. But unloading that dishwasher and you pick up that coffee mug or that bowl and it's glistening and shining the outside and then, and then you kind of turn it over and it's got that nasty like dishwasher grime kind of caked on the inside. It's gross, right? I mean, the outside, it looks clean, it's shiny, it's beautiful, but on the inside, it's got that this awful, sandy, whatever, backwash of the dishwasher stuck inside. <laughs> now, I, I, I wouldn't do this, but I've heard some people even just like put that back in the cabinet and think like, oh, my spouse will wash that up, but it's time to use it. Sorry, Rachel, I've definitely done that before. Um, <laughs> But even there sitting in the cabinet, it looks clean, right? It looks clean as you pull it out and you look on the inside. It's such an easy trap to fall into because it's far easier to clean the outside, at least for a time, than to really deal with what's on the inside. And let me just tell you, it's easy for spiritual leaders to look good on the outside on a Sunday morning, kind of in short doses, right, on Sunday morning at a meeting, but then you start to get to know their family, or you talk to their staff, and their family can't stand them, and their, their staff is miserable. They don't have any friends. They're filled with anger and resentment, and cynical, lustful, bitter. Spiritual leaders have to have people who can look inside the cup. I'm, I'm so thankful that God is. His goodness and provision has provided numerous groups of those people who can really look inside the cup of my life. Uh, my fellow campus pastors, our senior pastors, several really good friends from both uh, college and seminary who know me. They know the junk inside, they know the temptations, they know the proclivities of my heart. It's also why we're doing the reveal story that you've been hearing about. Um, we, as your leaders, we want create lots of channels and pathways for input and feedback and communication. And when we say that's 100% confidential, we don't just mean like, oh, you're not someone else at church is going to know what you wrote, but like, reveal as a company. We will never, we only get aggregate results. We will never see any names attached to any data. So when we say be as candid as you can, we really mean that. Please do that for us. Help us with that. And also, did you happen to catch what Jesus highlighted here when he talks about the inside of the cup? What it's dirty with? It was so convicting to me this week. Jesus says the inside of their cup, he says the inside, they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Greed and self-indulgence. And what was so sobering to me about that was, as I was studying this passage, realizing what Jesus has just said right before that to them. Because it comes in the context of what Jesus has just pointed out is that the Pharisees were scrupulous about tithing. They were scrupulous about giving 10% of everything that they had, down to everything in their spice rack. And yet Jesus calls them greedy and self-indulgent. It just hit me so hard this week to realize that it is possible to be giving even significant portions of the resources that I've been entrusted with and still be greedy and self-indulgent because ultimately it's about an attitude of the heart, right? 
They're giving, and yet Jesus calls them greedy and self-promotion. And finally, number five, spiritual leaders are the worst when they use the sins of others to feel good about themselves. The failures of others to prop themselves up. And they say here, well, we would never do what our fathers did. We would never kill the prophets. And meanwhile, Jesus knows, right? He knows they're about to do even worse. In a couple days, they're going to murder, crucify the Son of God. And it's so easy to use the sins of others to feel good about yourself, isn't it? To look around and say, well, at least I'm not like those parents. I'm not perfect, but I'm better than that. Or I'm better than that friend. Or that coworker. I'm better than that pastor down the street. And I'm so glad our church isn't like that church. It's bad enough for them. For the Pharisees that are doing this. But it's not just them in the car. It's creating out of control. They are about to take Jerusalem and much of Israel down with them. For you become like those you follow. And in just a couple days, they are going to crucify Jesus all the time. And I don't know about you, but I really don't want to be the one driving that bus off of the cliff with all of us in it. We all know too many stories, don't we? Stories of toxic churches, terrible pastors. We will become like those who follow, who choose wisely. And I hope you're getting a sense of this morning why this is such a terrifying text for me. Because as I've contemplated and wrestled with these passages, I see those, I see those places in my heart, in my life, that are drawn into these things that Jesus condemns. I'm tempted, your church is tempted by every single one of these. But there is hope. Hope for me, hope for Christ's community, for us, for you. Because we can't just abandon community. And Jesus gives us a glimmer of hope right here in the middle of this really hard, really sobering text. Because yes, we need the warning signs, especially as spiritual leaders, we need to hear Matthew 23. But we also need a real solution. And the only solution for all of us, well, the short answer is Jesus, of course. But look at how he ends these excruciating words. He, he ends them with such tenderness and compassion. And, and you can see the, the, the tears in his eyes, hear the break in his voice, the pleading for his people in verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hand gathered your brood under her wings. And you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. Right to tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus longs to gather us like a mother head under the wings. So let me just quickly offer three next steps. You become like who you follow. So what should we do? Well, first, know and pray for your church. Know and pray for your church. Know and pray for your pastors. Get involved. Serve here. It's one of the best ways to know how what's really happening in your church. Get involved in, in helping and leading and serving in some way. 
It's a great way to know how healthy your church is or isn't. And pray for us. And not just those of us who have the title of pastor, who are on staff and pay, but for anyone of us who teaches or leads, for our elders, for our volunteers, those who teach in children's ministry, that we would be protected from the things that Jesus so strongly warns about here. And if you've been hurt in the past, by a church, you've got to be in the process of rebuilding trust. Be part of the solution with us here. I mentioned a moment ago how, how, ago, how thankful I am for the certain kinds of safeguards that we have in place here at Christ's community. Because while we are not invincible, we have worked really, really hard to be accountable. And, and multi-site even forces a unique kind of accountability for us. And some of my closest friends in Kansas City are the other campus pastors and their families, their wives and their kids, and we spend time together. We know the temptations in each other's lives. We know the struggles, the heartaches. In light of that, please don't put us on a pedestal either. Because I'm a sinner just like you. I'm just as desperate for God's grace and mercy as you are. And we're going to make mistakes. I have made mistakes as a pastor. Some of you, in the five, four and a half, five years that Brooks has been around, have gotten a phone call from me or an email from me or sat across the, the table at coffee for me and had me say, I'm sorry. I'm a little here. Would you forgive me? By God's grace, if I continue to be your pastor for a long time, there's going to be a lot more of those conversations. Don't get it right all the time. So help us. Not, not with the whiny, critical spirit, but give us feedback. Ask your questions. Again, that's why we're doing Reveal. We want to know. Push us, stretch us. And, and please, if you're doing that, give us a lot of grace. And I just want to say, I feel that here already. This is an incredibly gracious congregation. It's a joy to serve as your pastor. It truly is. Thanks for allowing me and the rest of us on staff to be human beings, not just pastors, but also thank you for not settling, for continuing to push us to be better, better, for calling us out when we've done something wrong or we've hurt you or there's been a misunderstanding. We would help one another to seek Christ. I love this congregation. I love you. I'm so thankful for Christ's community. It's an incredible place to be a pastor to serve. So know and pray for your church. Second, know and pray for yourself. Because yes, Jesus is addressing spiritual leaders in particular in this passage, but, but none of us is immune to the temptations that Jesus warns about here. The temptations to be obsessed with our own importance, to focus more on the outside than the inside, to be passionate about the letter rather than the spirit of the law to look down on others to feel better about ourselves. Every one of us is prone to those things. And if you're a Christian, someone claiming to follow Jesus, you, you are leading spiritually somewhere. There are people who are looking to you, whether it's in your workplace, with your coworkers or leaders, or those you supervise in, in your neighborhood, with your neighbors. If you have children with your children, and especially with your children, and this passage, as I was studying this week, is as sobering as it is. 
for me as a pastor. It's even more sobering for me as a parent. Because, you know, you guys, I get to inflict on you maybe you know, 35, 40 minutes a week here. My family's with me all the time. You are influencing people whether you like it or not. So hear these lines. Please know and pray for yourself. And third and most important, always run to Jesus. Always run to Jesus. He longs to gather us under his wings and you become like those you follow. And Jesus wants us to follow him. For he is the leader who will never abuse, will never let us down, will never disappoint, who fulfills what we could never accomplish, who pursues us even to the point of his own death, who died for hypocrites like me, for sinners like us, and rose again so that these things, these warnings don't have to overcome us anymore. That we can be completely free from them even now. And we can create a community here. Not, not a perfect community, not, not a community that never gets it wrong, but one where imperfect people come and gather around the gospel and are kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgives us. Don't you long for that? I need that. But we're desperate for it. You become like who you follow. So let's keep following Jesus together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray with the purest of hope. Acknowledge that I cannot deliver myself and I am in despair. But a resource is found in you for without my deserving or desiring you divine to everlasting plan honorable to your perfections, and which angels long to look into. And the word which announces all glory of this goodness is near to me, invites me, begs me to come. May I, a convinced and self-despairing sinner, find Jesus as the power unto salvation, his death the center of all relief, the source of all gospel blessings. Help me to run to that be crucified by it to the world, and to find in it deepest humility, motives to patience and self-denial, grace for active goodness towards others, faith to grasp eternal life, hope to lift up my head, love to bind me forever to him who died and rose for me. May his shed blood make me more thankful for your mercy, more humble under your correction, more zealous in your service, more watchful against temptation, more contented in my circumstances, and more useful to others. In Jesus' name.